As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. Today we talked with Ryan Negri, the co-founder of Lycos. What do you think? This one was really interesting. He talked a lot about the lessons he learned at his previous company. And what impressed me with him was his foresight. So not only building a really strong foundation so that when the time does come to scale, he's ready, but even things like hiring, um, they start working on who they're going to bring onto the team months before that, that person's even needed, which is something that you don't hear a lot of. Yeah, this is a great one. I love all the focus on foundation. It's, you know, he focuses on the things that you need to prepare early on to build a solid team. So let's get into it. We're so happy to have Customer IO supporting the show again. We use Customer IO for Hookfeed and we absolutely love the power it gives us. Customer IO is a data-driven email platform that helps you communicate better with your customers. The kicker is that their powerful rules-based targeting enables you to keep your messages human even as you automate them and scale. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. So Ryan, tell us about uh, your previous company, Negri Electronics. So I founded Negri Electronics in 2006, um, actually from my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, from her apartment building. Um, it was more, you know, I, I wanted to get into electronics. Electronics were a hot topic back in 2006, um, and I saw a need for um, a way to obtain smartphones. Back back then, you know, they were just becoming known. Um, there was a HP, HP phones were coming out with touch screens, and um, I knew that, you know, that was going to be where everybody was going. Everybody would want one of these um, because I, I looked at it more, some people looked at it just as an item they had in their pocket. I looked at it more of a um, 
kind of like a vehicle. Like when you drive around in a nice vehicle, you're, you're proud of your vehicle, that sort of thing. And, and people would have that same feeling for their devices. Um, and uh, lucky for me, I was actually right. Um, so I, I started in 2006 just buying and selling on eBay. And, and the point of, of using eBay, I knew it wasn't a viable option because of the fees. But um, it was for a, a great way for me to source products, source um, suppliers for products, um, and find customers. So my, my whole focus on eBay was actually to redirect traffic from eBay to my own site, um, which uh, at the time only had you know three to four products on whatever we could get our hands on. Um, I say we, but it was it was just myself for 2006. Um, so you know we I ended up doing uh, quite well, I guess. In 2006, it was like 300,000 in sales for the entire year, um, which I thought was was decent for you know just myself. Um, actually moved into a slightly larger facility than an apartment building um, and hired a friend of mine to help with customer service and boxing um, uh, phones and I dealt with you know the supplier chain and larger customers that wanted more than one phone um, so uh, we moved into that that facility and, and it started to get busy. I started to get the right suppliers. We started to import phones from different countries, and uh, we were able to um, position that as you know one of the only distributors or only places in the United States to buy these um, hard to find, very expensive um, wireless devices. And the entire time I'm, I'm starting up this company, people are telling me I'm crazy. Um, you know, nobody's ever going to pay $500 for a phone. You're, you're nuts. They're giving them away for free at the carriers. Um, but I, I saw something different. I saw um, a trend and, you know, my whole, my whole outlook was everybody is going to have either one or two of these in the near future. And it just so happens you know, at, when prior to selling the company, I actually had three phones that were active at all times because I had the international, I had the BlackBerry, I had the iPhone. So, again, I was I was right, but it was a it was a hunch, you know. Um, so uh, we grew steadily and, and slowly. It was all you know self funded. I actually used two credit cards to initially buy uh, most of the merchandise. One was a five thousand credit limit. One was a ten. Um, so to I started the company with $15,000. Um, we never took uh, outside funding. It was not, we didn't raise money at the time. You know, I was in Wisconsin. It, there's no VCs in Wisconsin. There's no talk of startups. Um, so it was just another small business. Um, and, and we did quite well. We grew very quickly. Um, <clears throat> we got up to, I think we had six employees in, in Minocqua, Wisconsin. Um, and then um, I believe it was 2008 or nine. I, I didn't want to remain in Wisconsin. I wanted to kind of expand and, and not only get out of the cold weather, but um, also, you know, find other opportunities for this company because, you know, being in Wisconsin, there's not a lot of Wisconsin customers, which was, which was good from a sales tax perspective, but not a growing your business perspective. Um, so I, I, re- I relocated myself to California and remotely managed um, the office in 
in Wisconsin. Um, I had a manager there. He was a younger gentleman um, with not a lot of managerial experience. So it was me really remotely managing most things um, with a, you know, a remote warehouse. So we're able to ship from Wisconsin, um, which is relatively cheap. We had the best discounts in the entire state when it comes to um, shipping because we were one of their larger accounts at the time. Um, so it actually worked out fairly well um, from a financial perspective, but we weren't growing as fast as uh, we wanted to. So um, out in California, I was networking and working with other um, local distributors of, uh, of the high-end products. And um, uh, we were able to expand relatively quickly that way because the, the, more, the more and better suppliers that you have, the, the better prices you can offer to the customers, the better supply um, the variety of phones you you take or you bring in um, it just helps the customer uh, it helps you target to the cust- to the right customer so one of the things that you did while you were working on that company is that you worked in a lot of different departments and really got an understanding of how the entire business works. Uh, can you talk at all about you know the things that you did and what you pulled away from doing all the different uh, variety yeah absolutely uh, so, I mean, when I started it myself, obviously I, I did everything. Um, so I, I went from, you know, being the sales lead to the customer service to boxing. Like I boxed my own phones for the first three years of, of um, my company. And, you know, that's basically saying, you know, the CEO is working in the warehouse. But, you know, when you're, when you're that young as a company and you don't have this financial backing or even the relationships um, – to hire uh, another CEO or another C-level position, you really have to do everything yourself. And and I believe, and I, I strongly believe that 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 has helped me gain far more experience than you know reading a book or a blog or or following someone else growing their company. Um, and it's the experience that actually um, helps you gain that knowledge a lot quicker. Uh, because you're 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 doing everything. You know, I, I was literally doing everything, um, and that that includes the accounting and the marketing. So I it was I was very spread very thin. And one of the one of the struggles, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have the struggle, is the delegation process. And that's when to hand off a certain department or a certain um, responsibility to someone else. And I wasn't good at that because I was so strict on the fact that we had to be. We had to be perfect because the industry that we're in, the, the consumer electronics, um, is a very difficult industry. And uh, starting up in, in 2006 with no track record, uh, you have to build your trust from from zero. And if you have one mistake, uh, that turns into a negative review, which is on all over every internet blog, all over every review site, and they could essentially ruin your business that way. So it was the delegation process was difficult for me to kind of uh, master, I guess. So now you're working on Lycos, which um, you're kind of working on multiple products under one roof. What are you taking with you from this experience to what you're doing now? Um, I guess the, the organization and managerial operational type skills that, that I've um, gained over the years helps kind of know where I made mistakes 
in my last company and know where not to make them in this one. And that, that has a lot to do with um, what my focus is right now is building a, a strong foundation for the company. And I think that's a lot of the times you, you see startups are one to two people and that's really all that they have. My goal is to surround myself with the best people possible. And that's anywhere from C-level to designers to um, engineers. And I think you know a lot of people don't, focus on um, building a strong core, a strong foundation. And, and if you look at it like a, like a building, right? So you're, you're building a, a, a large skyscraper. And if you don't pay attention to your foundation, the capital or anything you put on top of it, it's going to collapse. So my, my um, I guess my duties right now are to um, make sure the foundation is strong and we have the right people in place. So when we need to take off at 100 miles an hour, we're not going to collapse. So for the people that are trying to build that foundation now and um, get themselves okay with handing off certain pieces of the business and trusting other people to run it, uh, what advice would you give to them? Um, I guess that's twofold. So let, let's um, talk about the foundation. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's easier to get people involved if you're passionate about what you're doing. And if it's something just to do, I, I really don't think that that you're going to be able to get the right people. Um, so you have to be passionate about it. It has to be an exciting project or, or company or an idea um, in order to get people to come on. And, and a lot of the times these people come on and they, you can't pay them. You can't afford to pay them. So you have to give them something that, that makes it worth their while. And that excitement and that passion that you're able to share um, with somebody else is, is what's really going to motivate them to not only be involved, but help you grow the company. And most of the time, like I said, for, for free or for stock options in a company that might not go anywhere. How do you hand off pieces of the business to those people and, and get okay with delegating? Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a huge thing to be able to do. So it, it's a lot of trust. And I don't want to say it's blind trust because I want entrepreneurs to have the faith in the person they're actually delegating to. But sometimes you have to have that blind trust. Sometimes, you know, you bring in a partner, you bring in a, a co-founder and it's like, here this is, you know, do the best that you can with it. I'm going to trust you and because I, I need to focus on this. Um, and I actually, you know, I'm very lucky as far as a co-founder goes because um, Kyle's He's an amazing co-founder. He's been uh, um, involved in, in coding and programming um, before the iPhone even came out. Uh, and they were, you know, they were putting in – he was developing iPhone apps before they had the um, App Store. So they had Cydia, which is the jailbreak App Store. Um, and he was developing apps before they were even you know, popular and fun. But um, I, I got lucky because I, I knew him, I knew Kyle for actually 12 years before we even decided to go into business together. And that's, that's rare. And I see a lot, of, um, a lot of posts and a lot of questions on Quora about, you know, how do you find a co-founder? And for me, it was, it, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it took me a long time to, to build up a relationship and, and be able to completely trust, um, trust a co-founder. Um, so I guess, you know, the advice um, for delegation would be to um, it, it's a short leash <laughs> to, to start um, if you don't completely trust them and that leash needs to be extended and you need to revisit um, extending that leash very often because um, it's going to be if you if you build too much of the uh, company on your own shoulders it's 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 harder and harder to 
um, to offload that onto somebody else. So you need to constantly be um, giving more and more, um, I say leash, but it's, it's more freedom or more, um, more comfortability with um, the delegation process. Yeah, I see us doing the same thing. Like we, we put so much on our own shoulders and it seems like it would be so taxing to take a, a piece of your, uh, a piece off your plate and get someone else started on it. But just starting, even if it's in a small way can be so helpful. Right. Yeah. And, and some of the times, like some of the things that you, you want to delegate might actually take longer to explain than they would for you to just do. And that's the mindset that a lot of people get. It's like, you know, I'll just do it. But it's a repetitive task at, at most of the time. So it's actually worth sitting down and explaining and spending the hour that's going to take to say, listen, we need to do this every single week and I don't have time, but I'm going to sit here and go through with you numerous times on how to do it so then I can feel comfortable not doing it every week and making sure it's still going to get done. So how does that apply to your current hiring situation? Is that how you identify uh, roles that need to be hired on your team when you just find uh, someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing over and over? Or is there another indicator? Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. I mean, it, I guess I with the hiring process, it's more what I think we're going to need in the future rather than what we need right now. I think we're set with what we need right now and that's because I hire in advance all the time. I can, um, I don't want to say I should see the future obviously, but I, I, I can see that what we're going to be needing based on either the, the pipeline we have or the current workload. So that's something that, that I guess I would say I was pretty good at and I take that experience back from, from Negri Electronics of being able to hire um, quickly, efficiently and in advance. And I think that's, that's very important because a lot of the times, you know, you've got a small operation and you don't really know what you need um, because you, you've never been there before. Um, with me, I, I've been there before, so I kind of know what's going to be needed in, in three to six months. And that the hiring process shouldn't be, you know, a week. It should be over several months because you, it's it's almost a marriage because you're, you're bringing somebody in that you're going to put all this faith into, you're going to spend all this time on boarding, you're going to issue them shares or, or stock options, you're going to go through the contracts. So that, I mean, that takes a long time and that's, a, that's an investment. So, you know, why do that in a week? Why do that after one interview? Spend time, you know, getting to know the person, um, researching them. There's due diligence that, that both sides have to do in order for it to be successful. And I think a lot of people just overlook that and say, oh, this guy's really talented, just bring him in. Um, they, they don't spend the time to actually get to know them and make sure that the, that the values, the, the shared values are there. Um, and, you know, it's like Tony says, Tony Shea always says, it's more expensive to, okay, I want to go back. Um, it's, it's cheaper to, to fire and pay, some, pay somebody to quit than it is to keep them on. Um, and that's, you know, proven in his, um, his recent actions with, uh, with Zappos. I mean, he paid a ton of people to quit because they didn't like the holacracy. And that, I mean, that's a good thing because if they stuck around and did not like their workplace, they could bring the entire corporation, you know, the, the motivation of the entire corporation down. And that's, that's hurtful. Um, so it's, it's, it's an investment. It takes time. Um, and it should not be done over, you know, one to two weeks. It's a, it's a month long process to hire the right people. Yeah, it's critical. Like, you know, one person on a 10 person team could totally change the dynamic of that team. Absolutely. And you want to bring people in that can also um, 
train new people. So, you know, when, the, when you talk about values, you want them to, to be able to share and be open about their values to the next hire. And they need to have the, the still the shared values when they bring somebody else in. So um, if you train them correctly, it's, it's such an easier job going forward um, than it is to go back and micromanage everybody because you don't have the full faith or the full trust in them. So for someone who's just getting started and you know doesn't have all this prepared, they're getting ready to make their first couple hires and all of this sounds super daunting with you know having to have months of training and and knowing what to teach these people and what to look for. What are the key things that they need to be looking out for? Um, I think that the one of the first things I would do even before hiring is make sure you have one to two advisors. Um, I, I did not have that in my last company. So a lot of the times I, I made these mistakes and had to go back and correct myself, but made a mental note that, you know, don't do that again. Um, but I, I think it's really important to kind of have people you can bounce ideas off of that are, um, there's a mutual agreement that it's an advisorship, right? Um, I had a lot of friends that I could talk to back in the day about, you know, what do I do in this situation? But none of them were vested enough and none of them were, um, had the experience, um, of doing this in the past. So I think, you know, the first thing you would probably do is, is find one to two advisors that, that you know and trust and, and are willing to kind of spend some time with you so you can bounce ideas off them. Um, but the hiring process, I mean, that's, it's a pain point for every organization. I would say that, you know, do due diligence, do research as quickly and uh, efficiently as possible on on the prospective hire. Um, make sure you definitely check references and make sure those references aren't just you know just all friends or friends' companies they worked at. Um, and and really get to know the person. Go go out to lunch. Go out to a coffee. Um, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to be checking their Facebook uh, updates. You're going to be checking their Twitter. You want to, to do this and feel confident that you're hiring the right person. So I would say spend as much time learning about the um, prospective hire as possible because this person is going to be working with you and a representative of you um, for a very long time, hopefully. That's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Can you let everyone know where they can keep up with you online? Sure. Um, Lycos.com. It's uh, L-A-I-C-O-S. It's actually social spelled backwards. Um, dot com. And, uh, or RyanNegri.com is my personal blog and I update from time to time. Just recently had an update there about how Twitter and Facebook are listening in on your conversation. So it might be pretty interesting to check out. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And be sure to check out our app discount section where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today.